0: Workday afternoon replay from Money FM 89.3. Market View on Money FM
1: 89.3.
0: Good afternoon and welcome to Market View on Money FM 89.3. I'm Clarissa Montero on this Tuesday afternoon, joined by JP Ong. Right before the microphone came on, we were having a lovely conversation. About dogs, stupid apparently. dogs at that. Stupid, dog. but
1: stupid, adorable dogs.
0: We like stupid-looking, stubborn dogs. Apparently,
1: yes. yes. I that's, hope that
0: that uh, your taste in women <laughs> diverges away from that.
1: Uh, let, let's move on to the market, shall we? <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Well, as far as the market, yes, concerned, Go on. It's Not so, not not so
1: green today across no, the it, region. No, actually, no. The region's actually okay. It's singapore that's uh, f- failing to but get out of we do this all bed. the time we don't do we? We? we do we we sometimes play negative nancy in the region mm-hmm. right uh, markets are down by about 0.2% we keep, continue to swing between 3200 and 3250 and you're seeing this uh, trading range continue to play out um, value turnover uh, just a little it's 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 okay i wouldn't say it's uh, it's uh, it's surprising. I wouldn't say it's impressive, but about 450 million Singapore dollars in total value turnover for the mm-hmm. morning. Not bad. I'd say that's par for the course. Um, but uh, we are down by about six points. We're missing out with the rest of the re- uh, on what's happening in the rest of the region. The c- gains continue to be steady, but uh, consistent at least for major markets. The Nikkei 225 still up by about half a percent. ASX 200 in Australia getting a bit of a boost, 0.8 uh, percent higher so far today. Even Shanghai and Shenzhen are choosing to smile, but just by a little bit. Once again. It is those good old fashioned trade talks, and mm-hmm. more updates this time that there is growing hope for a possible phase one trade deal. Now I know we've we've heard this before, but this time we have the minister of uh, Ministry of Commerce from China saying that guess what. They spoke on the phone. So over the weekend, they say that China and the U.S., according to Ministry of Commerce, have reached consensus on properly resolving relevant issues. And they've agreed to stay in contact on the remaining points for a phase one trade deal during a phone call this morning, actually, Beijing time. So this according to a report from Bloomberg earlier on. And they have discussed core concerns, according to the statement. They didn't want to provide further details. And they didn't really say whether or not um, Robert Lighthizer, the U.S. trade representative, was heading to Beijing Uh, at the invitation of his counterparts in China to resume a trade talks. But we're coming close to December 15 when tariffs on billions of dollars worth of Chinese goods might come back online should they fail to agree on a phase one deal. And these are interesting and positive developments if the Chinese Ministry of Commerce as it can be believed. I think the thing we're going to have to watch out for is uh, whether or not the U.S. side confirms this because we have seen before the Chinese Ministry of Commerce ha- or Chinese uh, of- officials have said, yes, we are making progress and the U.S. sometimes walks it back and says, nope, we haven't agreed on this bit. So we're going to have to wait for confirmation. Information on both sides, and it'll be very interesting to see how uh, the folks in uh, Washington, D.C. react to some of these proclamations when they wake up later in, uh, on the East Coast, right? Mm-hmm. Here's one thing, though, that might be a bit of balm at least, for Singaporean markets, which is um, missing out on uh, this particular rally. Uh, Singapore just released their factory output, industrial output, for October. It was due at, at 1 o'clock, so that was about 13 minutes ago when they released it. And what would you know? Four percent growth in October, and mm-hmm. apparently they defied economists' expectations. Now, many economists were expecting a bit of a recovery at least in the factories here in Singapore, but they were expecting a slowdown in contraction. So that means a slower, a, a smaller pace of uh, of shrinkage, right. for lack of a better term, a one point four percent fall. Instead, they actually grow by about 4%. And even when you take out the biomedical manufacturing sector, which was one of the only sectors really in the manufacturing space that was really positive and showing signs of growth, but uh, volatile none, albeit, but still growing nonetheless, output would have been up by about 0.2%. So again, it shows that this 3.8% year-on-year growth in manufacturing, or 4% of this growth, majority of it actually comes from the volatile biomedical manufacturing sector. We've talked about, Where else else is the Singaporean market? And where is the manufacturing space going to look for their growth? Well, Mm voila, it's going to be the biomedical manufacturing sector. But the thing is, it's still a very volatile sector, very much fast developing, a lot of change in this particular space. Basically, we're going to need to uh, contain this loose cannon. (laughs) and right. really harness it for us. But if you're looking for signs of growth and potential in the Singaporean space, the biomed manufacturing sector seems to be, uh, be proving once again that they are what's helping lead the recovery in the manufacturing space. And we haven't even gotten to this bottoming out of the semiconductor or the microchip sector also that will affect Singapore. If it does happen, then we'll see this grow even more. But uh, at the moment, uh, it's biomedical manufacturing to the rescue. So far, 4% growth, but still Singaporean markets and the the STI at least trading down by about a quarter of a percent today.
0: Do you think the STI has started to react to that news yet? Uh, It doesn't seem like they
1: have. We have actually, you know, I've I've actually spoken to uh, one of the uh, journalists at the Business Times about Mm -hmm. this and about, hey, where can we find exposure on the STI, there's not a ton of uh, listed companies actually that have exposure to the biomedical manufacturing space. There could be a couple, like, could, uh, there's a lot of stocks here, so perhaps I'm missing one or two at the moment, but I don't think it's going to be enough to move the needle if that's the case. Um, What I'm seeing right now is that the banks are looking relatively shaky. DBS is flat. OBCBC and UOB slightly in the green so far. There are some questions on the part of Fitch as to whether or not the banks can actually sustain their earnings moving forward. They were one of the best performing sectors uh, year to date in the third quarter. But they are are concerned that uh, lower interest rates, some of these uncertainties hitting global economies could actually pose even more uphill challenges at least for some of the banks. But the picture is relatively mixed so far on the STI. Singtel leading losses today. Mapletree Commercial Trust one of the best performers yesterday, now one of the notable losers, down by about 1.2%. Golden Agri, down by about 4.5%. So there's a couple of stocks that are actually giving back to, um, that are just turning red at the moment and keeping uh, the uh, STI or the main index uh, weighed down for the most part.
0: It's interesting you brought up the banks because there's an interesting article today about uh, secession plans, at least for OCBC. Oh yes,
1: very interesting actually.
0: I mean, Samuel senator has been there for eight years. He, mm-hmm. he knows at some point he's going to hand over the reins. And you
1: know what? The thing we've also seen not just here but across the ASEAN is uh, succession planning is going to be very important for some of these big companies and we've seen a number of these families actually start to lay out their succession plans and and how important it was. In fact, in my home country, the Philippines, two uh, prominent business leaders of uh, two of the largest conglomerates, they actually they passed away, an heir apparent and a leader also. Mm-hmm. And the question was, well, who's going to take over the reins? And on the part of the Gokongwei group, they were actually they, their son Lance Gokongwei has actually been at the helm of many of the companies right. for quite some time. And uh, the same with the Lushitan group, uh, the heir apparent has passed away because of complications. That was quite recently. That was about two and, two, two and a half weeks ago, actually. Yeah. So it did shake things up, but they did say, that there is an emphasis on on, on succession planning. In fact, when I spoke to Brian Ngan of Cedarside Holdings, who was chief investment officer of that fund in the Philippines, he said, yes, Lushutan or Bongtan, the the son, has passed away, but his sister, Vivian Tan, is more than capable to actually take on the reins if Mm -hmm. uh, needs be. So there is no shortage of talent in some of these corporates. But you're going to have to really lay out your succession plans. It's going to be very important. So taking us back to OCBC, it seems that Samuel Chen, in his eighth year as CEO, has shown an indication as to who he wants to take over as his heir apparent, and he says he favors internal candidates who he says are very strong um, strong potential successors who have moved around in different functions and able to take over the bank in the event of a need. Now, Mr. Tian, who's actually Shanghai born, is 65 years old, and he's been known for pursuing acquisi- acquisitions that has led OCBC to expand in Hong Kong. It's become one of the 10 best private banks in Asia, in all of Asia also, and they are the second largest lender in Singapore and by default also the second largest lender in Southeast Asia. A lot right. of this happening under his plans. I think one of the questions for OCBC moving forward also is you, you can argue that they have a significant exposure to China at the moment. Mm-hmm. It's not a bad idea. In fact, it's still arguably a good idea to stay in China. But we have seen some of these economic slowdowns, some uncertainty hitting the Chinese economy. How they're going to manage some of these uncertainty moving forward is going to be a big question for for, for Mr. Tian or whoever succeeds him as a CEO. And now he has said there are no immediate plans for him to step down, but he has said that they're not looking externally. They're going to keep things in the family and, and call some of their leaders leaders there and they're going to have to sustain some of this growth that they've uh, embarked on over the last couple of years.
0: Mm-hmm. It's actually an interesting idea you know keeping it in the family does mean that whoever it is that does step up and does take over the role when it is vacated, is somebody who understands the ethos of the company really well from the inside.
1: That's Okay, so that's one way to look at it, right? Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of value in that, especially when you're talking about a bank as big as OCBC, where I'd be underestimating if the, I'd say there's 100 moving parts in that bank, right? You have to know that bank inside out to really right. run it. But there is also the case, and I'm not saying OCBC is one of these. They're far from it, in fact, in my opinion. But there are organizations where you might actually need an outsider to come in and shake things up. So I think it's not entirely, you know, I think it's a case-to-case basis at the moment. Mm -hmm. In OCBC's case, if you have a healthy pipeline of potential candidates who can take over the raids, that's great.
0: And you're working on grooming them.
1: And you're actually working on grooming and saying, hey, not, not to worry, we're actually putting them... Through through finishing school, through CEO finishing school <laughs> and actually making sure that they can that hold, take would over be the trip. Like. What I,
0: is CEO uh, finishing
1: <clears> school? Well, uh, I wonder. Here's a hundred
0: million dollars. Try not to lose it all in and one. Remember, place. raise your
1: pinky when you when you lift your <laughs> cup, right? Uh, but but it is uh yeah, I mean it's it, it's it's a fair question. How do you train folks at these at the top ranks of these corporations to mm-hmm. take over them? Because you know, it's glamorous and glitzy as it sounds, these are jobs where you probably don't take any breaks at all maybe seven seven day working weeks um uh, you're on call all the time and you're probably f- fending off all of these challenges, internal and external, to make sure that your bank can compete. Because, mind you, OCBC is a great, uh, a huge bank, but uh, this is arguably one of the more competitive... This is also a very competitive banking space because the uh, the rivals that they're going up against, the likes of UOB and DBS, there are no slouches either, right? No. So, you're going to need someone with a lot of metal to actually succeed him. They are saying that there's a pipeline of, uh, of candidates and... Uh, and I think in OCBC's case, perhaps this is uh, this is another move on their part to try and assuage investors and say, "Don't worry, guys. Long term, we've got a we've got a plan." So. Yes,
0: long term, we've got a plan. That's always something that you, mm-hmm. you want to be able to hear from some some where you've got quite a considerable investment in. Okay, now if you have a considerable investment in Fraser's Hospitality Trust. Do you think Moody's downgrading them is going to uh, not be happy news for you? Well,
1: let's take a look, actually, at how Frazier's hospitality is uh, doing in today's session. Frazier's hospitality trust actually flat. Seems that markets are a little bit split on this. Now, mind you, once again, we have to remind that uh, this is the outlook, not the actual rating on their credit. So they're mm-hmm. just saying that, hey... We were not too rosy on what the future holds for Frasier's. It looks like it's going to be a more complicated, maybe a testy time for them. Mind you, this is also a hospitality uh, trust. Mm-hmm. And uh, many have actually come to the, uh, you know, have actually lauded hospitality trust as being one of these uh, unique uh, subsectors in the REIT space also. Uh, But Fraser's happens to have a lot of exposure down in Australia. And I think this is what they're saying. They believe that there is a weakened, uh, the operating environment in Australia is expected to remain weak. Occupancy and room rates will probably be subdued and they will continue to impact the operating performance of Fraser's hospitality trust, Australian properties. So they have uh, lowered the outlook uh, to negative from stable. They have said that they continue their BAA2 issuer rating. And it's because they believe that Fraser Hospitality Trust will probably see a weakened operating performance and they expect the credit metrics to remain weak, meaning how effectively can they manage their debt? How effectively can they pay off their debts also? They believe that if it's it might impact it and they might see their net debt to operating earnings or EBITDA to remain around 8.4 times over the next eighteen months, and it's not exactly a level that Moody's is comfortable with. So, so Frazier's hospitality just something to watch out for, I think, for some for some investors out there. Moody's uh, n- uh, not really giving them the thumbs down, but saying you know you've, there there are some things they're going to have to get in order in the future because it's going to the going might get tough for these folks. And of course, uh, the, the house of uh, the Frazier's guys. I mean, they're they're generally a good a solid bunch of, uh, mm-hmm. of managers. So, mm-hmm. I you know I think I I wouldn't take this as a, a as a thumbs down. I would just say this is just a flag that they're waving, going, hey, guys, heads up. This could happen and this could impact you in some very significant ways. Well,
0: the thing is, if you have stocks and significant stocks in any kind of holdings, it is up to you to make sure you have all the information hmm.
1: <laughs> To Absolutely. Make
0: informed decisions. This is just information, and also
1: just to, and it's also equally important. Not just to look at how much, uh, how well they grow their bottom lines, these companies, mm-hmm. but also how well they manage their debt. Because you could be making some of this money on the top of massive debt piles that, in the blink of an eye, could actually become a, more of a complication moving forward. Especially, we have all of these uncertainties with regards to an economic slowdown, U.S.-China trade wars. Um, it makes managing credit a little trickier. I think moving forward. Sure. So yeah, I mean, but uh, I'm
0: all for information. I do believe information is an, power. And
1: information on both sides of the uh, right. for both the balance sheet and the income statement. So
0: that as much information as you can get, yes, absolutely, to make the most. Educated guests at the end of the day, still.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> this has been Market View on Money FM with JP Ong. I'm Clarissa Montero. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at MoneyFM893.sg or download the SPH radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.